I'm Micah Boyette, and you're listening to The Slow Way. This is a podcast about the slow goodness of pursuing a sacred love that transforms everything, including you and me. It's a quiet space where all of us frantic strivers, serial doers, and weary achievers are invited in for a moment of reflection, an opportunity for prayer, and a chance to practice going slow in a world that often values only speed, success, and power. Our culture loves to tell us that life is frantic and there's nothing we can do about it. But friends, we know what's real. The true thing is deep down underneath the surface where love lives. And sometimes we just have to stop long enough to notice. Let's try, have a seat just for a few minutes. Let's go the slow way. Lord of the ill-matched threads. When our 11-year-old Brooks was a wee babe, we moved our lives to Austin, Texas for a sweet season that would turn out to be much shorter than we expected. My husband discovered something wonderful, something I'd been waiting for him to discover all seven previous years of our marriage. Coffee. My husband discovered coffee. Now here's the thing about coffee. It's not just a drink. It's a ritual. It's a comfort. It's a gatherer of people. It's a medication. I had spent the seven years of mornings before that season waking up by myself, making the coffee by myself, and sitting down to read by myself. Chris had woken quickly and dressed and run out the door to work, all while I was still sitting in my PJs with my warm beverage. But that year, some magic force shoved Chris into my morning vortex. Maybe it had to do with extreme exhaustion. Having two kids waking in the night, I was breastfeeding one of them, and the other was having toddler meltdowns at 3 a.m. There was literally no room for turn-taking. We were both so, so, so tired. For Chris to incorporate something new into his life, he has to make it his own. He is a curator of beautiful things, a gatherer of people, and a maker of moments. So our coffee regimen soon transformed from a Mr. Coffee Pot from Walmart, the one I'd been using since we'd gotten married, and pre-ground grocery store beans, to highly researched roast styles and examination of the extraction process. We moved to a French press and eventually to pour-overs, I learned about fine grinds versus medium grinds and the purpose of each. Listener, when I say this happened within a year of my Enneagram 7 husband discovering coffee, I am not kidding. His coffee entry created an entirely new world. What changed in our relationship was not the coffee, but the time together. Chris's excitement over his morning cup got him out of bed. And what came after that was a ritual that has transformed into the heartbeat of our relationship. Our morning cup of coffee on the couch in the winter 
on the porch in the summer, our built-in 30 to 45 minutes of time together. In San Francisco, when the kids were up at 6.30 and off to school by 7.30, our coffee time started at 6 a.m. We dragged ourselves to the living room. We read our books in the lamplight. We talked about work or the kids or the things we were sad or scared about. We sometimes fought. We sometimes cried. We sometimes prayed together. And now that our lives are simpler, when the first school bus doesn't show up until 8.30 and the other boys don't need to leave the house until almost 9, our morning starts an hour later. But still in the quiet, in the ritual of sitting together, reading different things, and sometimes bringing up what speaks to us. We've learned to ask good questions, practice vulnerability, and say the truth out loud. We rarely read the same morning books, though we're pretty set on nonfiction in the morning, fiction at night. Chris is drawn to headier theology. I like my theology in the form of memoir. Thank you very much. But our morning coffee has helped us change and grow in the same direction. A gift I'm only now at almost 18 years of marriage beginning to grasp the power of. We have a few rituals we keep. Every Lent, our favorite book of poems, Rainier Marie Rilke's Book of Hours, comes back out. We both take time to flip through it, sometimes reading aloud something particularly good. We have a few stars on the tops of pages. I have one line tattooed on my arm, and we seem to come back over and over to the images that say the thing we've been trying to say. She who reconciles the ill-matched threads of her life and weaves them gratefully into a single cloth in the softness of evening. It's you she receives. And she stretches beyond what limits her to hold you. So much of the life of faith is a steady nourishment of ritual. We do the thing over and over, not because every spiritual practice feels particularly powerful or because prayer is a switch we turn on or off in order to get to the presence of God, but because the ritual is like healthy food and exercise and sleep. It demands something of us. It requires us to pursue the long-term good over the short-term comfort. It shapes us slowly and deliberately. And eventually, it builds a structure where we're tuned to the voice of God, where we can hear the sound of the divine because we've learned to listen. God comes to us disguised as our lives, Paula d'Arcy said. Every experience of our lives, the suffering and the joy, the celebration and the lament, is an invitation for us to lean in, to attend, to allow ourselves to show up in the presence of divine love. I think it's a little bit like showing up for coffee every morning. Some mornings are magical, 
but most are normal and some are really hard. But we do the thing. We drink from our cups. We talk about what we're learning. We listen to each other. In some seasons, we say our sharp words. We yell. We weep. We hash the words out until there's nothing left to say. And then we show up again the next day. And in this season of losing my dad, my coffee time with Chris has been the go-to place for my grief. The place where I check in with my sadness, where there is space and time to feel it and share it. In the rituals, the everyday boring, not usually transcendent rituals of our lives, we are like the woman in Rilke's poem reconciling the ill-matched threads of our lives, weaving them gratefully into a single cloth. That work is the kind that takes a lifetime. But slowly, we're stretching beyond all that limits us, making space to hold God. God who keeps showing up every morning too, looking exactly like our ordinary, beautiful, sorrowful lives. slow practice. I love the idea of taking the threads we're given and noticing how we've actually been weaving them into something beautiful. Today, will you take some time to look backward in your life? One of the gifts of journaling is that you were able to mark what you knew and felt and experienced at significant moments of your story. You are able to look back at the threads you were given and from a distance discover what a beautiful tapestry you've been making. Let's consider our threads and spend some time acknowledging the threads that came to you through joy, through grief, and through struggle. My hope is that as you reflect on those things, you will have some space to see what beautiful thing you are becoming. Grace making a tapestry, even from the hardest things. Take a deep breath with me. Breathe in. Breathe out. Today, I'm inviting you to journal once again. Last week, we wrote down the mundane realities of our present days and invited the sacred three into them. This week, I want us to look back on another three, our most formative moments of joy, grief, and struggle. Feel free to pause this episode and take time with each question. Let's start with joy. I want you to write down the most significant moments of joy in your life. Moments of delight in childhood, your teen years, your young adulthood, your mid-adulthood, and on. Moments that still bring a smile to your face when you consider them. If you can, remind yourself of the colors, sensations, 
faces in those moments. Take as much time as you need to remember. Now move on to grief. When was your first experience of grief? Did it sneak up on you or come toward you slowly? How were you supported during that time or left to sort it out alone? How did you cope? Work slowly through your life, acknowledging each loss that mattered. It could be the death of a pet as a child or the divorce of your parents, a painful diagnosis of someone you loved, each season of loss throughout your life leading up to now. And struggle. I think of struggle as something different than grief. Struggle can be a spiritual season, maybe a season of doubt or questioning when it comes to faith, maybe a time of leaving the faith tradition you've known because it no longer feels authentic to be there. Struggle can be a move to a new place. It can be a hard-won pursuit of relationship, a particular season of working to connect with someone you love who now feels distant, or bringing healing to a relationship that holds a lot of pain in the past. Struggle can be an ongoing battle to love your own body, to care for your own body or mind. Whatever comes to you when I bring these up, take some time to sit with this question. Where in your life have you struggled? Now imagine all those threads of your life, threads of joy, grief, and sorrow. Close your eyes and see those moments as beautiful, bright threads. Span away from them as if you are a camera taking the long view. You get further and further from the experience and you begin to see those bright colored threads woven together. What does that woven fabric look like from the long perspective? Could it be that the hand of grace is fashioning all that joy and longing and sorrow into something miraculous. Sit with that possibility for a bit. Let's close by praying this together. O oh Lord of the ill-matched threads, Help me weave something beautiful of this life. Amen.
Thanks for listening to The Slow Way. Choosing a moment of quiet and allowing yourself to be slow here with me is no small thing. When we move even for a few minutes at a pace that refuses to conform with the culture around us, we make space for God, for wisdom, for a vision of ourselves and others that can only be seen when we take the time to pay attention. What I'm trying to say is, we make space for love. So, well done, us. I'm proud. I want to thank Val Schleter for managing my social media and Carson Boyette for designing each week's downloadable image. This week's is really cute. Just want you to know. Also, Jason Boyette for designing our slow week graphic and the talented Angelina Marie for editing. If you're interested in more words on the slow way, you can sign up for my newsletter at micaboyette.com. And if you do, you'll receive access to one of those free downloadable images from Carson. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Micah Boyette and find my book found wherever books are sold. You can also review The Slow Way on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And I would really, really appreciate it if you think that's a good idea. But if your time would be better spent reading and drinking coffee with your main squeeze, you should probably do that first. Until then, friends, let's go the slow way. See you next time.